podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind and Soul Healing Conversations. When we learn to work with our own inner nature and with the natural laws operating around us, we reach the level of Wu Wei. Then we work with the natural order of things and operate on the principle of minimal effort. Since the natural world follows that principle, it does not make mistakes. Mistakes are made or imagined by man, the creature with the overloaded brain who separates himself from the supporting network of natural laws by interfering and trying too hard. Benjamin Hoff, The Tao of Pooh. In this episode, Valeria Tellis interviews K.G. Johnston about the way of effortless leadership. K.G. Ken Johnston knows that Albert Einstein was right when he said, Look deep into nature, and then you will be able to understand everything better. Ken is a hypno-coach and author who uses the nature-based Taoist principle of Wu Wei, or effortless action, to inspire your well-being, self-expression, and transformation. Blending hypnotherapy, energy work, and coaching, he holds a safe space for you to remember your power and inner wisdom to change and get more joy out of life. You are guided to use relaxed awareness, playful imagination, and clear intention to enter an optimal state of creativity and performance called flow, where ideas, insight, and inspiration flourish effortlessly. Ken worked as a coach and consultant for transition consulting firms and helped people and organizations flow with change. K.G. Johnston is the author of The Way of Effortless Leadership, Ancient Secrets on Cultivating a Culture of Trust, Engagement and Flow, and Remember You Are Me. Ken is a chartered professional in human resources, a graduate of the British Hypnosis Research and Training Institute in Compassionate Hypnotherapy, a Reiki practitioner, and a Wu-style Tai Chi instructor. He possesses an honors diploma in career counseling, a Bachelor of Arts, change management certification, and is qualified in multiple psychometric tests. To read KG's full biography, please visit fitforjoy.org forward slash podcast. Here is the interview with KG Johnston. In your own words, who is KG Johnston? I've dedicated my whole career pretty much to helping people and organizations change. And so a lot of what I have done has come from that perspective. I use a nature-based Taoist principle called Wu Wei, um, or it's called effortless action, to inspire people's well-being, self-expression, and transformation. And in the last couple of years, I've made a few changes, but right now I'm blending hypnotherapy, energy work, and coaching in an effort to hold a space for people so that they can remember um, their own power and inner wisdom to change and get more joy out of life. Um, also in the past, um, I was um, a career counselor, coach, um, and consultant for um, career transition career firms. Transition so I went firms, into organizations um, that were undergoing change and helped people and the people that were staying there also with change. Right. Which means you have a lot of experience transforming people's lives. Before we talk about the topic in your book, The Way of Effortless Leadership, I have a few warm-up questions for you. What is another word for life? Sort of in, in 
keeping with the idea of flow, because that's part of the subtitle of my book. Um, my dad used to have a saying, I think I mentioned it in the book, but he said, you would turn left, you, you turn left and your life changes. And if you think about it almost every day, every little decision that you make will lead your life in a different course. It, it's the small decisions that often add up, but the actual definition of life, that's, um, you kind of got me on that one. <laughs> I think we were just meant to um, experience life. Ultimately, um, people have goals, um, they change over time, but really it's about the full experience of, of being human and, and getting the most out of it. Right. What inspires you to be a good person and to do the good work you do? I think part of it is just my natural personality. Um, I've always enjoyed seeing people succeed. It sort of goes back to when I was teaching tennis in between university. And um, I realized that I enjoyed seeing other people succeed almost more than succeeding myself in a tournament. Uh, there, was, there was this joy that I got that used to bubble up to the surface when I would see them break through uh, certain barriers, certain uh, areas that they didn't think they could do. And then two or three months later, all of a sudden they were doing it with, with adeptness. And, um, and, and it was a real sense of joy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you think is the world's greatest need? Love. <laughs> Love and compassion. They're, you can be very skilled at something. I look at a lot of leaders and there can be a, a lot of skill, a lot of intellectual ability. But at the heart of it, um, I think it's about bringing people together at this point. And the Buddhists talk about the, um, the science of compassion. And I think ultimately it all comes down to being able to see our connection with the world, um, with the environment, with each other, um, with people of different faiths and different uh, belief systems and see what unifies us. Uh, in the way you already said now, described what love is, but if I asked you the question, what is love? What would you say? It's, it, it goes well beyond romantic love. It goes well beyond, um, I think it ends up being almost an appreciation of life. We're going back to that first question that you, you asked, but it's the full experience, um, appreciation, gratitude for the multitude of things that come your way, the good and the bad. And I, I've had my fair share of both and then being able to flow with that and um, learn and evolve from it. Right. Do you see a difference between love and compassion? I think the two are on the same continuum, really. You know, compassion might be a little bit more, some people think of it as maybe slightly removed, but I think love ultimately, it's just a, it's a state of being of acceptance of an appreciation of the other and, and how it relates to you, if that makes any sense. Right. Makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the purpose of your life? Well, I think it's really about inspiring, as I sort of said, I think up front, um, I get a real joy out of this concept of inspiring people's well-being, self-expression and transformation. I think it all comes back to that. I've also learned over the last few years, having written this first book, um, and a mentor sort of just materialized out of the blue a few years ago and encouraged me to write a paragraph. And that paragraph turned into the book. So... I'm discovering that I love to write. I want to share my ideas with people in the long run. Um, I think I have something to say and uh, through my experiences and from what I've witnessed other people go through, but essentially it comes down to helping people with their well-being, their self-expression and transformation. Right. Why did you write the book, The Way of Effortless Leadership, Ancient Secrets on Cultivating a Culture of Trust, Engagement, and Flow? That's a really good question. It came out, strangely, of a bad time. Um, I had followed love to our little island here off the west coast of Canada. And I went from having lived in a big city to living in a very rural, secluded area. So all of the things that had worked for me in the past, 
um, didn't seem to work here because a completely different area. There weren't the same opportunities. So I was surrounded by nature pretty much 24-7 and just observing it, working within it when I wasn't doing work and looking for work um, inspired me. And then I started seeing the correlation between living in nature and what I had read and what I had experienced in teaching Tai Chi as well from a Taoist perspective. And nature's way is the way of health, essentially. It is the most effective system of growth, if you think about it. Um, people, business can talk about growth, but when you look at nature, it is the, it, by far the best model of growth. And it does it with perfect balance. It does it with health. It's pure abundance in sort of the new age world. People talk about um, talking about abundance, but that comes down to really observing nature and that it's all completely abundant and it has everything that all beings need to thrive. So that was part of the inspiration. And then the other inspiration was a wise mentor appeared um, during this difficult time and said, I'd like you to write a paragraph about your leadership philosophy. And I was like, really? Okay. Um, I had never really thought about writing before this time. I hadn't written since I'd been in university many years ago. And that one paragraph inspired her. And she said, I think that there's a workshop. Actually, I think there's 10 workshops in this. And then lastly, she said, I think there might be a book here. And two months later, I had the draft of the whole thing. It took me another almost two years to get the whole thing edited to the way I liked it. But I found that the information came out really quickly because it was all nature inspired. That is funny because we are not apart from nature. We are nature itself as well. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we, we deny it. And that's, that's very much what I've written in the book is that our models of leadership are all man-based or human-based And we look at why the world doesn't work. And my take on it is, is because we're not following that natural way. Taoism is all about the way of nature. And if we get back to that, I don't think we can go wrong because we, as you said, we are part of nature. We can deny it all we want, but the more we deny it, the more we do it in a way that will come back to harm us, I think. Mm, yeah, that leads to my next question. How do you define true leadership? Talk to me about business, the way, capital W, and the real world. Again, I think the real, real world is the natural world. And a lot of business leaders that I've observed, they get a little funny when you start talking about some of the stuff that may sound a little woo-woo because they think that the business world is the real world. But I think if you scratch the surface with almost any leader, they will admit that a lot of the stuff that they do doesn't work. If you look at just the state of business today, you know, employee engagement has remained flat over the years and billions have been spent by countless organizations. Up to 80% of change initiatives fail in business and or more. And business leaders know this. Many of our products and services, they damage our environment. Productivity gains from their perspective are hard to achieve. And mostly, when you were saying that we're part of nature, it's so true because mental disability claims or mental health claims are skyrocketing now. I'm certified in human resources, and um, there's a big conversation around that now that a lot of that that's taking center stage. But in terms of the leadership philosophy, it's about getting back to this concept of effortless action, essentially, which is called Wu Wei, the Taoist concept of Wu Wei. And to achieve that, there's three main sort of areas. One is to focus on that concept of using effortless action. Um, another part of it is returning to what's called Wu Qi, which is considered the void in Taoism. It's basically that um, area that scientists call the singularity. And in Taoism, when you meditate, you're basically reverse engineering life to go back to ultimate simplicity. And when you're in that state of ultimate simplicity, inspiration and creativity come to you. Things that when you're in that silent place, that's when you hear yourself, when you hear what true leadership is about and what is truly important. 
as opposed to just trying to lead to be impressive and to to get self-gain, self-enrichment, power, all of these other things that are kind of external. You start seeing what's truly important. And then the third part of the philosophy here is to follow a natural cyclical course of things. Stephen Covey, famous business author from years ago, he says, the only thing that endures over time is the law of the farm. According to natural laws and principles, I must prepare the ground, put in the seed, cultivate, weed, and water if I expect to reap a harvest. There is no quick fix, Stephen Covey. So the third part of my model, which is all Taoist-based, and if you buy the book, you can see, and I take you through the Taoist cosmology as well, but there's the five areas, cultivate yourself as a leader, cultivate the culture, so that's preparing the soil. Uh, during summer, you have to coach and create, which is sowing the seed, which are your people, essentially, and creating the vision, the missions, the structures and all of that that relate to it. And then um, the fourth part is considered late summer, which is change and harvest the results. And then consolidate the learning. And then it starts all back again with cultivating yourself. And they can flow in between these, but those are the seasons essentially. So it goes from like winter all the way through fall. So the five C's, cultivate self, cultivate culture, coach and create, change, and then consolidate learning. I love the metaphor you use with the seed for leadership, true leadership. You say in your book, um, beautifully written, I have here, it says, it is about seeing yourself as the seed from which everyone and everything will grow. Mm -hmm. You are thy space, yeah, for growth. That, that's, that's brilliant that you brought that out, that you saw that, because that is the essence of it, that basically the leader is the seed. So it starts, it begins and ends with them. And everything they do affects the culture and their people in such a way that if they use this concept of effortless action, they don't have to do very much at all because they're all about the way they're being with their people, which is totally inspiring to who they are. And it's about drawing the power out of their, their people. So they can pretty much sit back and do very little and have a great sense of humor and just sit back and inspire for a lot of it, not always. Sometimes they've got to get very busy. But the bad leaders are the ones that are focused on new techniques and new models and trying to manipulate their people into producing. And, and people aren't stupid. The people that I've met, they know when they're being manipulated. <laughs> and this, this, this way is about totally the opposite of manipulation. In fact, there's another quote by a, an author that I love. His name is Alfie Kahn, uh, K-O-H-N. He wrote a book called No Contest. And it really challenged my own uh, worldview because he challenges the whole concept of competition. And I'm, I'm very competitive by nature naturally having played a lot of tennis and just loving to get into that but he really challenges uh the idea that it that it increases people's um personality in a good way and if i can read uh, i'll read one quote from him he says punishment and reward proceed from basically the same psychological mode one that conceives of motivation is nothing more than manipulation of behavior and that's what my model of leadership, which is really all what all the ancients have talked about for thousands of years, it's totally the opposite of using manipulation. It's inspiring people from a place that is true, from within themselves, that's tied to nature. I love that. I absolutely love that. I'm going to go back to that idea of the natural world, nature and the natural world that you talk over and over again. This is something that you wrote. Leaders today have lost their connection to the natural world and to each other. So I have a question for you. What is the unnatural world and what is the unnatural connection between humans? Well, in, in my mind, part of the problem is, is that the current model of leadership, again, goes back to this idea that we are just material beings. And so it's a Newtonian uh, model of leadership where I, I wrote somewhere, I'll see if I can find it, but basically the, the model of leadership is like you're a pool player and you're 
hitting your cue ball and hitting other balls to make sure that your people go in the right pockets and do what you want them to do. Um, the new science, if you look at quantum physics and you look at string theory and you look at the new neuroscience about what's really reality is about, it's when you get to the heart of it, it's atoms are 99% space and the rest of it is energy essentially. So it's when you talk about space and energy or vibration, so the new model of leadership, it's not about using force to control your people, but essentially it's about creating, almost being a musician and creating a tune that your people want to follow naturally because it's so catchy. And nature has that tune, has that resonance. There's something called the Schumann frequency. I don't know if you've heard of it before. I think it's called Schumann frequency, Schumann resonance. But that the Earth's vibration is somewhere between 7.83 hertz and 8 hertz. And strangely enough, when you are in hypnosis or when you meditate, you go in a state that's between what's called alpha brain waves and theta brain waves. And that division, that line between alpha and theta, which are much slower than our everyday waking state, is right around the 7.83 to 8 hertz. So when we're at our best and when we're in flow, we're often in that brainwave state, which is also tied to the natural world. Would you say that being at that level, the same level frequency as nature, because we are nature, we just have to go back to it. Would you call that also the spirit? You wrote something interesting. You said that leaders have used force and control to suppress the human spirit. What is the human spirit? It's that part, I think, within all of us that we know is there that is evolving. It, it's needing expression. And when I went into organizations, so many of the people, they wanted to give their all. They really wanted to give their best, but they didn't feel that the way the organization operated, the way leadership operated, allowed them to do so. But that spirit is when somebody is being still. I don't know if you've ever had a leader. You can think maybe, Valerie, if you can think about the best leader that you ever had in your life. I'll, I'll give an example of one of mine. Maybe this will help. His name was Richard. And when he interviewed me for this consulting position, um, we're having a great conversation. <clears throat> then he asked me what my philosophy was and what I was about. And I, as I talked to you earlier, it was all about well-being, self-expression and transformation, trying to help people achieve that. And he loved that. And then the next moment he said, oh, Ken, by the way, your tie's crooked. And it cracked me up because I told him, I said, the funny thing is I'm the no tie guy. I really hate wearing these things. I did it out of respect because your organization, all the men wear ties there. This was a few years ago. Um, but we ended up laughing through the vast majority of the interview. And he was an incredible leader. Everybody at that place loved working for him. And they went, they often worked overtime in the evenings. They did their best. They collaborated. And he didn't really have to do anything at all. He just sat back, laughed most of the time. He trusted people. He, he brought out people's spirit, as you were talking about. He saw what is called, the yogis call the Atman, which I talk about in my book. And the, the Atman or the Atman is your spirit, your soul, essentially, which is the same as transcendent, transcendent reality. Um, it's exactly the same thing. It's just part of it. It's like a drop of water in the ocean. It's still part of the ocean, but it contains everything in it. I love that, that idea of letting that part of us flow with life. Yeah, and it's all about it's all about flow. That spirit part, I, coming back to what you'd asked, is all about flow. And he allowed you to come out for that your spirit to come out. And he would often come and ask me, "What do you need from me to do your best work?" And he would do this with everybody. And he'd say, "What kind of projects would you like to work on?" And he would give you the resources that you needed. So he really just had to sit back and do very little. And people were inspired, they were engaged, and that showed up to our clients who loved coming there because they felt this inner um, spirit of the place. So going back to that seed concept, he was the seed of everything that happened. And, and that seed created the culture for all of us. 
And in turn, the culture that we had, we loved working there so much that the service that we gave to clients was inspiring. It's the same philosophy that Richard Branson has. He said, our customers don't come first, our people come first. Because if our people come first, they'll be so inspired that they will naturally do um, what's necessary to inspire our customers. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I'm wondering what is the balance between the flow of life, flowing with life, and our desire to change life? We are considered, um, I'm not going to go too much into depth with this, but I went down to Ecuador a couple of years ago, and that's going to be the basis of my next book. And I sat on a mountaintop with shamans, something I never thought I would do. And they talk about co-creation with spirit. Well, coming back to this concept of spirit. So they talk about co-creation in Taoism and also in Tai Chi. You use your intention. Intention is a huge part of what is necessary to co-create. So we are that spirit. We are part of that spirit. But to not use force, you need to use almost like gentle intention. In Tai Chi, you do it. You don't use force. You use intention. You use your mind. You use coordination of all of your parts of your body. You align yourself with the earth, what's called borrow strength from the earth. And when everything is relaxed, but not so relaxed that you have no structure, it's a balance between structure and relaxation. So there's always that, that yin-yang aspect of it. But it's the bare minimum of force to hold yourself up and do what you need to do so that all of your muscles and parts work in perfect sync and in coordination to make something happen, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. It sounds incredibly attractive to live this way. I'm wondering if, if that's possible. From my own experience, I feel that I always lose the center a lot of times and then I come back to it. But then at the same time, I feel like th there's no center, really. The center is everywhere. Yeah, and I, and I think I, I think we all lose it. Like, God knows I lose it. <laughs> But, <laughs> you know, I, I think you'd have to be a saint not to, to lose it at certain times. And, and that's just the human condition. But it's the awareness. The other part of so much of this is about improving your awareness. People talk about mindfulness. I prefer the term awareness. It's expanding your awareness. It's being more aware of what's happening within you as well as what's happening around you. And um, I think we get better with it the more we practice it. So whether we meditate or we do Tai Chi or we do yoga or some other thing that brings us back to center, um, I find the Eastern arts, like the meditation, um, the Tai Chi, which is considered moving meditation, um, yoga, I do Kundalini yoga. I find it I find all of these things have a similar base and lead you to the same place. But people can get it from dancing. They can get it from painting. You know, you can get into flow doing anything in your life, playing a sport. It's that place where your ego disappears and you become the activity. And there's a, an excellent book actually called Flow um, that you can look up. It was written, I think, in the late 80s, early 90s by Mihaly, I can't, I'm not going to attempt it, but it's a um, Hungarian name and it's a, it's a very good book. For some reason, I really like the idea of staying. I think everyone does, you know, having that center and staying there just peacefully forever. I find that the more I accept everything exactly the way it is, the way it happens, including myself, what I do or don't do, the more peaceful I become and the more I flow with life. I think that's brilliant what you said, because we can use intention to create amazing things in our life. Everything that gets created is first created in someone's mind or something's mind, and that materializes. But life does come and hit us at different times. So it's a combination of using your intention to create or co-create, as well as when life hits you hard sometimes, being able to flow with that and get the best out of it. It was like what led to me writing this book were some difficult times. And I took the I took the opportunity during that to create something, 
to flow with what was given me. And I think we can all do that at hard times in our life. We can see what is the lesson that's been given us? Where is life directing us? Where is that stream? Where is that river taking us? Maybe we need to go down that. We're, we still have a direction in mind, but maybe we have to do a bit of a detour and f- learn something about ourselves that we otherwise wouldn't have known. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, uh, the flow. I had a conversation with somebody else about the flow, and I think he called divine flow. And the more I think about it, we are talking about the flow again. I see everything as a flow, and the only thing that makes us feel like we are not part of that flow, it's when, when we begin to reject, when there's rejection to what is happening. That's the only way to really know that now you're not with the flow of life. Yes, that's that's definitely a part of it, I think. Um, that's brilliant. But there's also, if I can add to that, the guy who wrote the book, Flow, he said also the thing that we can do to help ourselves get in flow at any moment in any area of our life is that whatever our skill is at a particular level of skill, we need to challenge ourselves so that we, we, we create a challenge that's above our skill level. Because if the challenge is less than our skill level, we get bored, um, and that takes us out of flow. If we if we have um, a challenge that is so high, so great compared to our skill level, we get frustrated and we fall out of flow. But if we put it above, slightly above where we are, we can continuously increase the challenge. And as we do that, there's a greater likelihood that we're going to enter that state of flow. So those out there that are listening, you can give that a shot and see if it works for you. Yeah, that makes sense because intention, that's whatever you have imagined or visualized yourself to be or to become. Now you need this, you need some help, some inspiration to get there. But it it seems to me that it's coming from that place of trying to become something, to be somewhere. It's that balance. It's funny. It's it's again that balance of, of accepting where you are, as you were saying, right? Right. And, and I think there's always that paradox, and that's the thing that I kind of love about Taoism, and because it's nature based, it's very paradoxical. So you can be fully present and just love where you are right now, and still have intention to grow, because we all grow and we all evolve, and that intention is necessary, I think, to to get to that place. We were talking earlier about the concept of duality and non-duality. I think it's possible to have both at the same time, um, to live in a world where you're living in a, a dual world, but through meditation in different ways, going back and experiencing non-duality. Yeah, embracing it all, not rejecting anything. Oh, it's actually Buddhists, they say non-attachment, no mine. Exactly, yeah. And, and the Buddhist stuff, they also talk about what was it, yeah, non-attachment or who was it, uh, John Kabat-Zinn. Um, he has a beautiful, actually, if I can read this to you, because I have it in the book as well, but he talks about the concept of non-doing from a Buddhist mindset and uh, sort of Zen Buddhist mindset. And he uh, said, the inward stillness of the doer merges with the outbound activity to such an extent that the action does itself. Effortless activity, nothing is forced. And to me, that's exactly what effortless action is. Like Wu Wei, it's nothing is forced. You become that activity. What was his name? Bruce Lee had an amazing quote about that too. Oh yeah, you mentioned in the book about the water. Yeah, yeah. He understood that, um, I would say. You mentioned the the techniques you use to help your clients. You mentioned relaxed awareness. That caught my attention. Uh, Can you describe what it feels like to be in that state of relaxed awareness? Yeah, well, I I do um, hypnosis, hypnotherapy, so I combine it with uh, the coaching. But when somebody enters a state of trance, there are certain markers that you can see the hypnotherapist can see to to see that somebody's actually entering that state of trance 
Um, there's like rapid eye movement that often happens. The face kind of becomes almost like butter. It just relaxes completely. The skin relaxes, all the tension in the face relaxes. It's an internal sense of focus. People often think, well, you're not focused. It's not true. When you're in hypnosis, when you're in trance, you're actually very aware. It's like meditation, if anyone's meditated before. It's a very similar state. And you go into the same brainwave states, as I was saying. Our everyday waking state is usually beta brainwaves, which are faster. And when you're going into meditation or hypnosis trance, you slow down into alpha wavelengths and even theta, which is a deeper um, state where you're able to imprint things much more effectively. It hits your subconscious without your conscious mind uh, rejecting it. So it's just this, I think everybody knows what it's like to be really relaxed. You know, you could be sitting on the couch. You just feel totally at peace with yourself. Everybody's experienced that at different times. Maybe you've exercised, you've run a big race and you've just let go of that external stress and you just, you know, so people achieve it through different means, but that relaxed awareness um, really comes to the forefront through hypnosis. It allows you to let go of the conscious mind, which often sort of is the gatekeeper to a lot of things, to a lot of change that you want to have happen. And when that, when you give it permission and you have to give it permission, all hypnosis is pretty much self-hypnosis. So you have to allow yourself to trust in the process, to trust in the person doing it. Because without that trust, it won't happen. You, you won't allow yourself to go into that state. Speaking of peace and calm relaxation, is there a difference between those states, being calm, being peaceful and being relaxed? In my mind, I think they all blend together. In, in Tai Chi, they say that um, if you have a calm mind, um, it creates a relaxed body and a relaxed body creates a calm mind. The two are interwoven. It's that mind-body connection. And in fact, just like in yoga or Tai Chi, you have to develop, first of all, the body to develop the mind. This is the way that they believe it works. And then when you develop the mind, you're developing your spirit or your soul. And in yoga, if you think about the chakras, you're trying to raise the energy up the spine, essentially up all of the chakras from the lower chakra to the crown chakra and above. And so it's, it's very much a mind, body, soul cultivation of energy, this, this work. You, you can't just do it intellectually. It doesn't work. You really need to involve the body and the mind. And then that helps take you to higher levels. Right. Would you recommend any kind of body training? Could be dance, um, maybe lifting weights, running, walking, tai chi, yoga, anything, or some exercise they are more effective than others in changing the mind. Yeah, I, th I think there are some in my in my experience anyway that are a lot more effective. I think all exercise is wonderful. I've always loved to exercise and stretch, but from my personal experience, I don't think anything beats. Uh, really good Tai Chi and not all Tai Chi is created equally. There's three main styles of Tai Chi, Wu style, which I've been trained in, um, Chen and uh, Yang style. And actually Wu style is an offshoot of Yang <laughs> as well. So I, I'd be aware of some of the new age type of um, Tai Chi. I try to go for a more traditional one and Tai Chi incorporates Qigong or Qigong as well, which is amazing to be able to help you move your energy yoga is fantastic i've been doing it for about 10 years and then just within the last year i've taken up kundalini yoga which is incredible meditation um there's different forms of meditation you can do tons of them i do tm that's my preference um, and i listen to some mantras um how long do you meditate for or how long do you suggest we meditate I think start off small. That's that's my recommendation to begin with. Um, like when I was trained in TM, like we do 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes late afternoon or evening. You can go further. I've done an hour at a time sometimes. But I think when someone's starting out, 
even if they're able to do it for a couple of minutes, five minutes at a time, if you're in business, I recommend, you know, for leaders, if you can just get your people to sit down before you start anything during the day, even for five or 10 minutes and meditate together, it changes the vibes, the vibrations in that room where people are just being with each other as opposed to getting into the, all of the action of the day. And they're able to just appreciate each other for beings instead of doings, you know, and all the politics that comes into that. Right. So what was the most amazing lessons you've learned from nature? There's a natural course of life. And I think it goes back to that non-doing or that concept of wu-wei, which is effortless action, that once we observe nature, it just happens. Grass grows all by itself. You know, trees grow in a certain way. We don't, there's nothing needs to be forced. At the end of the day, it's about letting go, and it's hard to do, but it's about letting go of control and force and using, using trust and love and intention, relaxed intention. And that's the way it grows. Um, yeah, I think that's the ultimate one. Um, and then that allows you to get into flow, into flow with nature, because you're not fighting things. And you had mentioned that earlier on. When you stop fighting and you stop, start trying to see what's present and, and to be able to learn from whatever you're getting at the moment, take it, create something new. And still have an intention of where you want to go. It might take you a little longer. You might end up slightly in a slightly different place, but you get, you have a better chance of doing it than fighting constantly uh, and trying to force and control. And I think that that is the state of most leadership today. And it comes basically out of fear and a sense of separation from nature and each other. Whereas if you observe nature, all you get is the sense of abundance the sense of beauty, the sense of systems working harmoniously together, and a sense of flow. And it's a state of mind. So my final question to you, um, what comes to mind? How do you define success? I think for me now, and I think it's changed over many years, I think it's about living an authentic life. And that is different for everybody. What's success for one person is definitely not success for another. Um, I'll give I'll give you an example. I'll use I'm not I won't use the exact same one. I'll change it slightly. But um, one woman that I was um, coaching years ago, she had this passion for something. She was totally, completely, utterly passionate about it. And I, I can bring it up. She loved scuba diving. She was in her element. She felt completely at peace, at one with the world. And everything disappeared. She was in flow. And, and she, had, she had a couple of other degrees and completely different things. But she had a lot of pressure from her family, from her culture. And she said that my culture, if I went that route and became a scuba diving teacher, which we were talking about, I would get so much pushback and basically rejection um, that I wouldn't be accepted in the community, within my family, even my own upbringing um, doesn't allow me to even kind of think that way. And I said, okay. And she, she wasn't doing very well. She was really feeling stressed out. All of the other options and work that she had done didn't give her any joy. And I was like, really consider it, think about it. Because when you do it, and she wanted to, she loved to teach other people too. There was, she was in complete and utter flow for her. Really, that was success, but she she was having such a hard time allowing herself to basically shed other people's expectations of what is was success to her or what should be success to her. And I think so much of this is about unlearning our conditioning at the end of the day. And that's about getting back to nature, getting back to our own nature, because when we are true to ourselves and when we shed this stuff and you can do it through coaches through counselors through your own self-reflection it's so empowering it's it's utterly empowering when you are like that's really who i am i'm going to have the courage to be that yeah. and do that so true absolutely what is to be strong 
it's funny. I don't, I don't know why this, I, I think about this, but um, <laughs> I'm looking, I actually have a TV on that's muted right now. And right now uh, they're showing um, Mitt Romney who, who voted sort of in the impeachment trial down in your country. And he was talking about having to go with his conscience. I, I, I watched him um, talk and share what he had said. And I thought that is strength, honestly, because he's going to have a lot of pushback from a lot of people, um, people who believe, thinks he should have gone the other way. But he had the courage of his convictions. And at the end of the day, I think that's all we really have. You know, whether you believe he's right or wrong or whatever, I think it, it, was, it was his conviction that that was what he had to do. And I'm sure there's some on the other side as well that, um, that are thinking about going the other way. So whichever side you're on, but do you have the courage of conviction convictions at the end of the day um, that is strength being true to yourself it all comes back to authenticity and being true and not letting others influence what you know is true and right about the world and about yourself right absolutely what was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself i had a I had a boss a few years ago one of my favorite bosses but she she told me that, you know, I was great with clients um, and I've always been acknowledged that, that was one of my strengths. But sometimes with coworkers, because I realized I would always go to bat for my clients. Um, and sometimes, and I would, I would have the courage of my convictions and stand up. But sometimes I would say it in a way that would get in a, uh, a fellow um, colleagues back up occasionally. And so she, she shared that with me and I really thanked her for it because it was a great learning for me to take stock and to realize I could communicate differently um, the same information. Um, so a lot of it is about really taking stock of who you are, I think, at the end of the day, really trying to look at your own weaknesses, how you can better them. It's very easy to see what other people do um, wrong. <laughs> it's not it's not it's not so easy to see um, where where you where your faults are and um, that was a hard lesson to learn because I'm so passionate about ideas that that that's what I thought I was sharing with people <laughs> but it was coming across a little bit bulldozery and I have to step back from that and that's what I do now I realize that I love ideas and I'm passionate about them but sometimes silence is the mm. best thing and allow other people to come forth what is another word for healing? So much of it is about unlearning. So many people try to fill themselves with more information, more techniques, more blah, blah, blah. But there's a core to all of us. And you think back to when we were children. I think there's so much truth and um, grace that children have. And if we can kind of remember what we were like back, really what we were like and what was important to us. So many of what kids say is important is not about the material stuff and about accumulating more stuff and about being right. This is when they're under the age of like five, but it's about the important things in life, you know, about fairness and about friendship and about, um, yeah, they, they, they often don't see color or anything. They just, they just want to, be connected to other people and to the world at large. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of playfulness, right? They play a lot. Playfulness, yeah, and that's actually a big part of the work that I do. It's funny that you mentioned that. Is when people play, they get into flow much more easily. When they're trying to work at something, all of a sudden the concept of work it can be the same type of thing. But when you're in a playful state, that is that that primes you for flow. Yeah. I agree. Isn't that interesting? It puts you like, yeah, in alignment with flow, the flow of life. Totally. Right. Yeah. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you change? Would you make any change about your life? It's a, it's a hard one because, you know, you can always, um, there are parts of my life where you, you know, I think that I could have um, done things better, improved things, ended up slightly, but then I wouldn't have had the lessons that I've gotten along the way. So, so I'm, I'm sort of, trying to balance the two. Uh, I think the one thing that I might have done a little differently is I'm really loving writing lately. And I find that in the last few years, my drive for creativity has 
re-emerged. I used to have a really strong drive for creativity under the age of 10. Um, and I let that go. So I think if I were to do things slightly differently, I probably would have cultivated that more throughout my life, but it's, it's emerging now. Yeah. Which is great. You are on it. <laughs> do you believe in life after death? That's a great question. If, if you would have asked me that two years ago, a little bit more than two years ago, I would have said no. Um, but I went down to Ecuador, as mentioned earlier, and sat on this mountaintop with shamans during ceremonies, had what I think was three or four Kundalini rising experiences, for those of you that are familiar with it. And they were completely blissful experiences, a sense of oneness that emerged, sense of feeling unified with everything and everyone. Um, and what I saw down there convinced me not, and I didn't have to believe in anything. It wasn't about having dogma tell me that this is true about an afterlife or anything, but what I, what I experienced, what I felt, what I saw, and it was visual as well. Um, it's spiritual. And I think every, I think people need to have their own individual experience. I think you can't tell someone really to believe something because at, at the end of the day, if they haven't truly experienced it, they don't know. Yeah, I agree. So you do believe in life after death. Uh, what kind of life? Not even 100% sure. I, for, the things I saw were utterly amazing. And we might have another discussion another time about this because it's pretty and it, it's so all encompassing. But I think it's my senses, it's energy beings of some sort, and that there's different realms and that there's continuous evolution. I don't think by any means that we are at the height of evolved species. <laughs> I, I think we are quite far down in a lot of respects. I think there's many higher dimensions and beings. And I really don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. But I, from what I saw, I definitely believe that there is some continuation of spirit and energy moving forward. So I'm just keeping an open mind to what would happen. Okay, which is great. Yeah. What are three things about life you know for sure as of today? Okay. From that experience down there, I'll say that I think life is, is honestly at the end of the day, it's all about love, that we're just here to experience life. The, I think the reason for us to be here in this type of form is really just to experience it and to have a good time in doing so. And if we do that, um, I think we'll treat each other better and not try to force and control others in a way that demeans us or harms other people. Let's say those wow. things. That's wonderful. It has been a meaningful conversation. Great conversation, Ken. Thank you so much for your presence. No, oh, thank you very much, uh, Valeria. That was uh, really fun. <laughs> yeah. Right. Thanks for breaking me in. <laughs> <laughs> Um, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Oh, thank you. Uh, you can go to kgjohnston.com uh, uh, to find out more. You can also get my book on Amazon. And yeah, those, those two are probably the best places to, uh, to go to at first. Very good. Thank you so much again. Thank you so much for doing it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Um, looking forward to hearing it after the fact. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. Bye for now, Ken. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about KG Johnston, please visit his website, kgjohnston.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Perry Clayton, and Aidan Bickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.